Awesome. Amen. And I do hope and pray you've had a blessed week. Hope and pray you're having an awesome Sunday, worshiping, learning, growing with us. So we're, thank you the, thank you so much for being here, spending your Sunday with us. I'd like to also welcome anybody joining us online today. Put something in the chat so we know you're there if you need help for anything. One of our online facilitators are there for all of your prayer needs. Amen. And so I do hope and pray you had a great week. This wasn't just any old week, right? This was the week of Thanksgiving, a lot of great, amazing things going on. I hope you had an awesome time with your family, ate some good food. Uh, we had some pretty awesome football watching yesterday, if you like to watch football. We were very uh, blessed to watch it with uh, some of our best friends, and it was a house divided, I guess. <laughs> we had some Alabama fans, some Auburn fans, and you know, for the Iron Bowl, I guess that's what you wish for, right? Just a really good game, and that's exactly what we got, so, so it was fun. I hope you got to enjoy some of that. But uh, God wants to do something even way more important than any of that stuff. He wants to do something real today. Amen. So we are going to finish this message that we started, a sermon series titled what? Blessed. Blessed. And we are on part four already. I'm going to try my best to like tidy this thing up, put a big old bow on it so we can go out of here filled with hope and joy and the revelation and truth of knowing of how blessed we are. What have we been saying, right? We are blessed. Tell your neighbors, say, hey, you're blessed. You are blessed, right? Do y'all believe it yet? It's been four weeks. I hope the Lord's been changing your perspective, showing you some things about how blessed you are, right? We truly, truly, truly are. And we've been using the Beatitudes, right? Matthew 5, a scripture where Jesus, he really turns our perspective and shows us that the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards, Right? And he gives us the, 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 the declaration and what he says being a blessed child of God actually is and what it looks like. And being a blessed child of God is actually different than maybe a lot of us thought. You know, we're not supposed to compare our lives to other people. We're blessed because God says that we are. I'm not blessed based on how much money I make. I'm not blessed based on all the things that I have or don't have. I'm blessed because God says that I am. And if you can remember that, no one can steal your joy. Right? Your joy is yours. Your joy has to be in Him, though. Right? And so we said a blessed life doesn't mean we have an easy life. A blessed life does not mean you have an easy life. God doesn't want you to accept this on Jesus so your life can be easy. It's actually the exact opposite, right? A blessed life means that we have his favor upon us in the midst of the hardships, right? That's how I know I'm blessed. My life isn't easy, but when it does get hard, I'm blessed because I have his favor. Come on, somebody. Right? It's his favor that declares I'm blessed, right? So that's what we've been talking about. And so I want to go ahead, and for time's sake, we're not going to read all of Matthew 5 there. Let's skip to verse 8, please, Miss Brittany. So these are the ones we're going to talk about today. And we're actually not going to have any recap points of what we went over today. For time's sake, if you missed any of that, get online, check out our, our, our sermons or our messages, or get on our app. It's all available there if you want to catch up and see what you missed. Amen. But verse 8, what we're going to talk about today, it says, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, he says, are you when they revile you or persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward. Somebody say reward. In heaven. For so they are persecuted than the prophets who are all before you. I told you that the word beatitude, if you study it out, it means supremely blessed. That's what that word means. And so these are the beatitude blessings that Jesus is teaching and preaching. I said that these beatitudes are the blueprint for us to see how blessed we are. It's a blueprint of a blessed life. These beatitudes mark us as children of God. And did anybody see anything in those scriptures about if you're blessed, your life is easy? Did Jesus ever say that? No, he said, actually, you're blessed if you're persecuted for taking on my name, right? Right? You're blessed if you, if you mourn, he says. We skipped that for today, but we studied it out, right? He says, because God wants to comfort you, right? He said, you're blessed because my presence is with you in your hardships, right? These beatitudes mark us as sons and daughters of God. So let's look at that first one we're going to look at today. From verse 8, we said, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart is a clean heart. It's a heart purified by fire, pruned like a vine, washed in water, and unmixed with this world. Purity of heart is a process of abiding in Christ and separating from the world. So Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's something for us to grasp from that. God wants his children dependent on him. He wants his children set apart, holy, with pure motives, with pure faith, and a pure heart. He says, if you have a pure heart, then you will see God. You will experience God. If I come to a place where I can't see or feel God working in my life, Maybe I have unpure motives. Maybe my heart is not totally been washed clean by the word of God. Maybe I'm still allowing things to live and reside in here, in my heart. Right? Because God sees the heart. He doesn't see our good intentions. Man, you can keep yourself stuck. By talking yourself into all the good intentions you have, right? God sees your heart. And he says, blessed are those with a pure heart because they will see God. Hebrews 12, 29, it compares God to a consuming fire. God wants his children consumed with his presence. Consumed with his word. Consumed with his promises. If you become consumed with Jesus, your life will change. All the things you want to change about your life, all can change if you become consumed with him. He becomes a consuming fire. And it's his fire, it's his presence of who he is, the purity of his spirit that cleanses us and washes us clean. He even can change our desires. Did you know that? He can change our minds. Did you know that? He can change your heart. And it's necessary. Somebody say necessary. For God's church 
to constantly, every day, be taking a self-reflection of my heart. God, how healthy really is my heart? Is it fleshly and responsive to your word and your ways and your spirit? Or is it stony and hard and coarse and callous and offended? Because God, he wants to move in. He wants to move into your heart. And when God moves into your heart, not only is your life going to change, but every single person that you come in contact with, their life's going to change because you're going to be walking in the full presence of his peace and his love. Right? So a pure heart is the result of pursuing his righteousness, right? his ways. And by cutting out, somebody say cutting out, cutting out dead things that don't belong. A clean, pure heart is the result of pursuing him, his righteousness, and by cutting out dead things that don't belong in our lives. When we do, he cleanses us. So maybe the Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to quit listening to this type of music. Because when you do, you have flashbacks. When you listen to this music, you revisit these memories and you begin to feel a certain way. Holy Spirit maybe has said, hey, you need to quit watching this show or this movie because it's not good. There's a lot of cussing in it. There's nudity in it. Right? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in those moments when he speaks? He's trying to to prune us and cut out dead things that aren't supposed to be coming into our hearts. They defile us. The things you allow into your heart can either bear fruit for his goodness or they defile us for Satan's name, for the world. Right? A pure heart is a process. It's a daily process of elimination in thoughts, and obedience, and faith. It's a process of progress. We're not chasing perfection. Jesus is the only per- perfect one, right? We're chasing a process of progress. I should be progressing every single day. Every time I allow these dead things into my life, I take a back step, right? I, I-, I backslide. And God wants to purify our hearts. Look at Malachi 3.3. It says he, Malachi speaking of God, he's, he will sit like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. God is the purifier. He compares them to a, a, a not a blacksmith, I don't know who, who does silver and gold. I can't think of it off the top of my head right here in this. Silversmith, Silversmith. thank you very much for paying attention and helping your pastor out. A silversmith. God's an all-consuming fire, right, according to Hebrews. So he wants to purify our hearts by drawing out the impurities of things that we can compare to on earth, like metal, that's this gold and the silver. Do you know that when you, when you smelt it down, you draw out all the impurities to what? To purify it. God wants to do the same thing in our daily lives. God's the purifier. 
God is like the, the ultimate heart surgeon. He knows exactly what he wants to do in your life and in your heart to help set you free, but you got to give him permission. Let's say you, you started feeling bad. You started feeling sick. You go and see a doctor. Upon some scans, some tests, the doctor says, man, I got bad news for you, but I also got good news. The bad news is there's something wrong with your heart. You need to have heart surgery. Good news is we got the technology and you got the great insurance. We can go ahead and do this today. If you don't, you're going to die in a week. How many are getting the heart surgery? Why are you getting the heart surgery? Because you went to the doctor. I'm telling you, God can perform supernatural spiritual heart surgery on you. And he cannot just save your life, he can transform your life. All of y'all said you would go have surgery to save your life. And every one of us, probably on a daily basis, deny God the things that he can do in our lives by just showing up and, and spending time with him because he wants to perform heart surgery on you every single day. None of you would deny that real doctor. Why are we denying the Son of God who can do exceedingly and above anything we ever think or imagine? Right? He wants to purify us. Look at John 15, 1 through 2. It says, I am the true grapevine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. God is also the pruner. Any green thumbs in the house? Anyone like to plant stuff? Tomatoes, nothing like that? Corey, you lied in church. No, you a green thumb? Hey, man, I'm going to come see when we plant our garden next year. Did you know that certain fruits, certain plants, certain trees that bear fruit, you actually have to cut things off of it, otherwise it actually sucks the life and nutrients for the rest of the plant. For it to continue to bear good fruit, you got to actually cut the dead things off. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, my father is, the, he's the, the gardener. He's the pruner. And if you don't bear fruit before my father, he will cut you off. And he goes on, he says, he throw, where do you throw dead branches? In the fire, on the burn pile. Anybody got a burn pile at their house? What do you put on the burn pile? Dead things. Dead things. Don't be a dead branch. Tell your neighbors, say, hey, don't be a dead branch. Don't not be a dead branch. God wants you to bear fruit. How, does, how do we bear fruit? By allowing him into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds to transform us and change us for his goodness. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. And this is where he's talking about we need to be set apart and separate ourselves from those things that defile us. Verse 14, he says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can the righteous be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers 
and separate. I want you to highlight or underline that word if you're paying attention. And separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Excuse me, don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughter, says the Lord God Almighty. He says, separate yourselves from those dead things, those things that are holding you back, those things that are defiling our lives. A pure heart is created by pursuing righteousness, but also, how do I pursue righteousness? I have to abide in Christ. Christ is the vine. I'm merely the branch. If I abide in Christ, how can you not bear fruit? If he's the vine of life, right? And so he compares, you can't mix light and darkness. They cannot mix. Did you know that? You cannot mix light and darkness. Light repels darkness. He's not saying that we don't, we don't love those that are lost. We pray for those that are lost. But I don't become in a close relationship with somebody who is living like the devil, right? I can love them from afar. I pray for them from afar. But I invite them over to my house and we ain't hanging out 24-7 every single day until they get right with Jesus, right? That's how we welcome and love people into the kingdom of God. But so as believers, we must separate ourselves from sin. It said, and separate yourselves from them in verse 17. So we must, we must separate ourselves from sin, certain people, places, and things that will defile us. And only you know those things that are not good for you. The Lord said, don't do that, do this. Do this, don't do that. And it's in those moments that I can either obey by faith, obedience proceeds, or I choose sin over God. It's really that simple. And I know it's sometimes not that easy. Sometimes some of us are really being tested, really being challenged. But think of it in that way. Do I love God more than this thing that's really killing me? It's separating me from God? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'll trust Him, okay? Trust Him in those moments. That's when He purifies our lives and our hearts. Look at that next point. The blessing from this, when we allow God to do the heart surgery, when we say, yes, God, I'm going to sign up for that surgery today, there's a blessing that comes. What is it? Clarity. Look at that point. It says, clarity. The blessing of clarity comes. Who would like to see better? <laughs> Look at all those hands. Sometimes life gets foggy. I don't know up from down. I don't know the next right thing to do sometimes because it gets so crazy. I need clarity in my life, right? He says, we shall see God, is what Jesus said. God allows himself to be seen by those who heart, whose hearts are pure. This blessing is the key to supernatural transformation because we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And so when I allow God to be my everything and he purifies my heart, I begin to become, live, look, act, talk like him. You know, children resemble their parents. So we should resemble our heavenly father. We should resemble Jesus. Holy Spirit should be alive and well inside of us, manifesting acts and love of God in the world around us. Right? Because that's the blessing that comes with this. And we begin to see God 
in a clearer way. We begin to experience God in a more monumental way every single day. The more of your heart that you give to God, imagine this, the more of God you get to see. The more you give of yourself freely to God, the more he gives to you. Man, God has revelations for you. He's got words for you. He's got things he wants to say to you, show you. And he's not doing it because, not because he's not doing it. He's not doing it because you haven't done your part. And go to him and allow him. You've got to invite him in. You've got to invite him into your house. You know, you can't have a visitor at your house unless you open the door, invite him into your house, right? God says, if you just invite me, man, I got things I want to show you, tell you, help you. The more that we give of him, the more of God we get to see, the more clarity that comes. A pure heart cultivates that clear vision of God. I was blind, but now I see. Y'all remember that? That was a physical healing from Jesus. The Pharisees were grilling that man, trying to actually get him to accuse Jesus of doing something that he didn't do and also renounce his miracle. Do you know when you were blind and now you see, ain't nobody going to talk you out of that miracle that God did for you? Right? And it happens because we submit to him. And we invite him in and we say, God, I want all you got. You got all of me. I want to meet you in this place. I'm desperate for your presence. I'm desperate for this thing that I need you to do in my life. And that's where he meets us, in those desperate places. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Y'all know this one. Y'all are super smart, right? Now, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's joy, there's peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, Right? Verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We become what we behold. So if the Spirit of the Lord is alive in my life, there's freedom. I become that, the same as that Spirit that God has sent. All the things that come along with that Spirit, love, joy, peace, righteousness, patience, goodness, kindness, all those things, forgiveness, right? God adds those on to us. It's the vision of God that transforms our lives. When we see the way God sees us, when we see the way God sees, we come alive. When you begin to see the world the way God does, I promise you, you'll come alive. You were blind and now you will see. You will see like you've never seen before. You'll begin to see the issue the actual root issue. You've been over here doing all this stuff, trying to fix the problem. And you spend some quality time with God, half hour, 30, 40 minutes in prayer, and God shows you. Anybody ever experienced that? It's like, that's the answer to my problem. And it's all because you purified your heart before him, and you began to get that blessing of clarity from spending time with the one. Imagine that. Spending time with the, the, the truth, the life, and the way. Look at that next point. We're going to go ahead and talk about that next beatitude. 
the second one from today. So Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are bridge builders, not floor mats. Peacemakers declare war on the issues that divide us, while at the same time, somebody say same time, loving and restoring the people trying to attack us. Guys, we need real peacemakers. Real peacemakers. I want to talk about this for a little bit. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He identifies his sons and daughters by those who are peacemakers. And peacemakers, there is a lot of faith that it takes. There is a lot of fortitude that it takes. There is a lot of energy that it takes to be a peacemaker and walk, walking out peacemaking with people. The lie of the enemy and the lie of the world is that to be a, to be a peacemaker, there will always be peace. Peacemaking is not always peaceful. Did you know that? Peacemaking is not always peaceful because the truth hurts. Did Jesus ever shy away from telling the truth for the sparing of someone else's feelings? Peacemakers do not compromise the word of God for posturing themselves in a way that's sparing someone else's feelings. If God says it, I'm not going to compromise it. Right? So peacemakers, they're, they're, they're bridge builders. They invite people to, to look at their lives and say, you know what? I need God. I'm not living right. And we build bridges from darkness to light. And peacemakers are the ushers at that bridge. They're bridge builders. Peacemakers do not bow down to anyone other than Jesus. Peacemakers do not, I've already said this, but trade truth for non-offensive posturing. Peacemakers are doers. Peacemakers are doers. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And the new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back from himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. He's talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation is peacemaking. Reconciliation is bridge building. As peacemakers, we need to find a way to bridge this gap from sinners, lost, blind, dying, going to hell, to bridging this gap, to inviting them into the family of God the way that Jesus would, right? He says, at verse 19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. As peacemakers, we don't condone sin. 
We don't even count their sins against them, but we call their sins out. What do I mean by that? We call their sins out of the darkness. We say, you can no longer, I'm not condoning this, but you cannot live this way to be a child of God. This is how I become a peacemaker. Is that a peaceful situation? No. See, because people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. We think we can fix our lives. We think we can do it our way. We want to have all this stuff. Maybe I want to live for Jesus, but I also want to do all these other things that I secretly enjoy. And peacemakers, they don't bow down. They stand on the word of God. But they do it in love in a confident way that allows people to self-reflect and see and, and, and ask themselves, I want to get right with God. And peacemakers are those ushers at that bridge, inviting them to come from darkness to light. Look at that next point. This beatitude, it distinguishes us from the world and sets us apart as children of God. Peacemakers are blessed because they resemble their father. Children resemble their parents, right? Peacemakers, God calls peacemakers children of God. And children resemble their parents. And our, our father, is, is he set apart? <laughs> you better believe, right? Our father is not of this world. We have a heavenly father. And so he wants us to do things his way, the kingdom of God's way. And that's going to directly come in opposition to the way of the world. Peacemakers are set apart, and this is why we must be building bridges. Because there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of lost people. But guess what? There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians too. I don't know who has more. The Bible says that narrow and straight is the path that find life, right? And wide is the gate. But I still have hope because we do have a lot of good Christians. And it's going to take every single one of them harvesting souls, literally harvesting souls, to help grow the kingdom of God. And if we want our world to be better, to look better, then it's on us. We can't blame God because he's done everything he's ever going to do. Did you know that? He sent Jesus to die on a cross, and he's done everything. And now he's relinquished the responsibility of his kingdom to you and to me. And if we want it to grow, it's on us. The responsibility to grow the kingdom of God God is on you and on me. Look at John 13, 35. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove that you're a child of God. Peacemakers are kingdom builders. We all have peacemakers. Think about this. We all have peacemakers that have helped us along the way. Look at your life. I bet you can name two, three, four, maybe five of them that stand out. People that spoke truth to you, even though it hurt, in a loving way. To what? Help bridge that gap to get you from from your misery to joy. I can think of of Pastor Rick Laster. Anybody ever met Pastor Rick? 
He's now a, a, a pastor at another church. He opened his own church, Stay Free Church. But he's one of those bridge builders, man. He, he always spoke true. He never compromised the truth to spare my feelings. Pastor Keith Hodges, of course. Another one, a bridge builder. One that resembles the love of God. See, I value the person's soul more than I value offending them. Their soul's that valuable to me. You know what? We got to stop treading on pins and needles for the, the, the sparing of people's feelings. You ever met those people that are just always offended no matter what? No matter what, they're offended. Anybody feel called to the ministry? That's all it is. You know, and it's nothing, you, you got to get past that. We're never going to please everybody. We have an audience of one. I don't know if it's just me, but I, I feel like as a culture, that's kind of where we're at. It's just this, this steady blot of, you're not, you're not getting any real feedback from anybody. You know, I may be not doing as good as I really think I am, and people are just patting me on the back, you know, and it's, I'm getting worse, Right? Or I'm actually doing really bad and people are telling me I'm doing good. All for the sake of this, this copacetic just, just blah. God calls us to be set apart, to be different, to stand out. And to speak truth. Right? Because he values our souls that much. Look at that next beatitude for today. It says, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be persecuted means to be driven away, to put pressure on, to harass, mistreat, or be hostile towards. Y'all know persecution will come. If you're paying attention, say it with me, will. Persecution will come. It's a matter of, if you have not experienced persecution as a Christian, it's, I'm not speaking death, but it, it, you will eventually one day you'll experience it. And it's, 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 it's going to come. Jesus told us that it would happen. He said, if you're persecuted for my name's sake, you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. So if persecution is going to come, are you ready? What will you do? And I mean, be honest with yourself. I've said this. I've heard other people say this. Man, when that time comes, I'm not going to deny God. I'm not, never, never could I deny God. We've got to be careful how we speak. Y'all remember Peter? What did he tell Jesus? I would never deny you, Jesus. You're Jesus. What did Jesus say? Before that crow... Crows three times. And so, this is why we need to be spending daily time with God. I believe Peter, he, his, his, his motives were pure, his heart was pure. But things happen. You, you got you to spend time with God every single day because every day changes. One day, you're on the mountaintop with Jesus. I'll do anything for you, God. I see you, God. I feel you, God. Then that next day, you get blindsided by something, right? 
What if Jesus comes on that day? What if you have to d- deny Jesus for something else that day? If, if you haven't placed him on the pedestal the first thing that day, you, you, you might trade him for, for something, for a million dollars or for, for, for whatever else. I don't know. So we must be pursuing him in righteousness every single day and never say never. Except trust him because persecution will come. So are you ready? What will you do? Your persecution declares that you're God's. When it comes, it means it's, it's because God calls you his. And it's in that moment we get to choose. He calls us his. Is he yours? Is he your God? Or have you placed something in front of him? He calls you his. Is he yours? You're one and only. Look at first Peter. Speaking of Peter. 4, 1 through 2. He says, since then, since Christ has suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude, same attitude he had, and be ready to suffer. For if you had suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. In suffering, we must remember that this is not our permanent home. That we belong to a higher place. It said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That simple truth, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, I believe is what compelled Jesus to do everything that he ever did. Is what compelled Jesus to say everything that he ever said. Is what compelled Jesus to the cross. Is because everything that he did, everything that he spoke, was about his Father's kingdom. And not about this place. That's how he was able to endure the pain that he experienced. Because he wasn't doing it for this place. He was doing it for his heavenly place. And for you. And for me. So when life gets hard, you got to remember that you're doing this, that you're living this, that you're believing this for something bigger. Something better. Right? Because this is not our permanent home. Look at that last point. I want to talk about the rewards of suffering for a moment. And I want you to know that there's, there's no reward for suffering if you do the wrong thing. If you choose sin or you purposely do the wrong thing and you suffer, there's no reward for that. You reap what you sow, right? I believe y'all are smart enough to understand that. But God does reward those who suffer because they said yes to God. If it pleases God when we suffer for righteousness, it's because we have died to sin and we are laying up treasure in heaven. Suffering for righteousness means I'm choosing to do the right thing regardless of the earthly consequences. Because I believe in heavenly consequences that much more. If I do this thing There might be some consequences in my life. If I confess Jesus, I might get marked at work. People might look at me different at work. That's a consequence. But I confess Jesus because I'm not, this is not my permanent home. 
I'm laying up treasures in heaven. When I do that, that I go that extra mile that God calls me to do for excellence, for my family or at work or fill in the blank. When I do that and they're suffering, but I'm doing the right thing, I'm laying up treasure in heaven. God sees me as blessed and he sees my pure heart. He sees my pure faith and he blesses us when we do those things by faith. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at all by the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his what? Suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted, he says, for being a Christian. For then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But, if it is no, but there is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. He says, praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. There is no shame in suffering alongside with Christ. Do you know that? There is no shame for suffering alongside of Christ. Christ suffered. He was perfect and they crucified him, nailed him to a cross. Each and every one of us will experience tests, trials, persecution. And if we go through that, because of my faith, there's no shame in that. God sees us. Because Christ suffered, I can suffer. He suffers with us. Do you know God and, and, and the word of God, it says that Jesus right now sits at the, the right hand of God, forever interceding, praying for you and for me. And so when it gets hard, when it gets tough, if you feel like no one's praying for you, Jesus Christ right now himself is praying for you to experience that victory, to experience the other side, the breakthrough of that, that place, and he believes in you. I mean, he wouldn't have died on a cross if he didn't believe in us. What a thought. What a thought. He believed in you when he went to the cross. Amen. Y'all join us in prayer this morning. We get ready to close. Well, Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this message. And we close it out today, a sermon series. I pray you stirred us up. I pray you shaken us up and shown us how blessed we are. And if life does get hard, tough, or feels hard, we got to remember that nothing we go through will ever be as hard or even compare to the hardships and persecution that you faced for us. So let that give us peace. Let that give us peace, God. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here today that came and experienced you and heard your word. I pray that we would take something home with us, that your word would be alive and we would apply it to our lives. God, we could take an applicable word and apply it to our lives to transform us 
from the glory to glory to make us better, holy and set apart for your name. Last thing I want to do is if, if you're here today or sanctuary, you're watching us online, and Jesus is not your Savior. He's not your Lord and Savior. You don't know him as personal Lord and Savior. Right now, I want you to change that. I want you to experience the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the peace of God, because God sees you. He wants to make you whole. He forgives you. If you want to make him Lord today, I want you to do something for me. I want you to something you do every single day without even thinking about it. But right now, it's going to be special. It's going to mean something. If you want to say, Pastor Ian, I want to accept God today. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord. I want you to right now just stand up. Physically stand up wherever you're at. If you are born again, I want you to pray right now for the lost, please. If you know the Lord is your, your personal Savior, pray for the lost. And so if you want to accept Him today, though, and you've never done that, I want you to stand up. If God is speaking to you right now, want this moment passion by. If you're watching us online, put that in the chat for us. I'm making that decision. I'm standing up. I want to accept Jesus today. Let us know so we can pray for you. Amen. Give me a few more seconds. Thank you, Jesus. No one is physically standing in our sanctuary. Somebody can make me making this decision online. So I want to repeat a prayer. I want you all to repeat after me. Okay, so it's going to go like this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We accept your son Jesus we believe in your son Jesus and we now confess that Jesus is Lord of my life forgive me for my sins and liberate me into freedom Holy Spirit come empower my life to live for you every single day the rest of my life in Jesus name got a hand this morning. So awesome. So glad to be doing church together today. Thank you for coming. Y'all are dismissed, okay? Bring a friend, bring a family member next week. We'd love to see you. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. Enjoy your Sunday.